Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You are Locked on Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Danny LaRue, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. And this is a return of one of my favorite things that we've done so far on the podcast, and the response on it was great last time, and again this time in terms of submissions, and that is a Reddit mailbag. And what I'm going to do with this is I'm going to go for about 30, 45 minutes, and there were so many good questions that it might end up being the podcast for what would be Tuesday night, Wednesday morning as well, because of course the Warriors play a game tomorrow, so it won't be back to back, but a lot of great questions and want to get right into it. So the first question is one from, from Urson Templar and it in, in many ways for me is a way of correcting a, or clarifying something that I've done. And so the question was, you've talked often about, about the cap space the Warriors will have available if Kevin Durant signs a non-bird extension. If we are to assume that he does so, who are the, some of the free agents the Warriors could be interested in? Who could this sign with the cap space? And is this player a priority over, resign, over re-signing Iguodala and Livingston? So this is a, a clarification that is incredibly important to make. And it is that barring the unexpected, the Warriors will not really have much cap space to add other people. The idea of using non-bird to sign Kevin Durant is that you can stay over the cap and that you can sign then if you do that and and ownership is willing to pay the luxury tax by getting Durant to take a little bit of a pay cut. We don't know exactly how much until the new CBA comes out and the est and everything would be that then instead of having to clear cap space to sign him to his maximum amount, which in that case, you're actually shedding guys. You're not gaining players other than the room exception. You would be able to keep cap holds on. And so the two biggest guys for that would be Iguodala and Livingston. So if Durant is willing to take that pay cut, presumably then you can pay those guys whatever it'll take to keep them. And, you know, we'll see how their markets change over the course of the year because both have looked, you know, a little bit old, a little bit out of place so far, but it's super early. So you don't want to read anything too much into that. So if Durant does the non-bird option, you have to do that. And then the real reason why that matters is not the ability to add new talent. It's the ability to retain the guys that you already have. Because if Durant, if you have to sign him with cap space, then you have to actually create that cap space. And that means probably losing either Iguodala or Livingston or getting them to take huge pay cuts, maybe a single year thing, kind of like what Manu Ginobili did when the Spurs had to clear a bunch of cap space in order to get LaMarcus Aldridge. So both Tim Duncan and Manu took pay cuts for that year. Duncan ended up retiring Manu ended up getting a huge pay bump this year so that could be the model for it but really you know the Warriors are not going to have a lot of flexibility the other big perk to the non-bird it's not as big of a deal than being able to retain Iguodala and Livingston is the idea that you get a larger mid-level exception the Warriors would be dealing with the taxpayer mid-level because even though they will be you know you could say oh at this given moment they're not going to be you know they might not be under the tax by matching or by, by paying Stephen Curry what he is worth they do not have match rights let me make make that abundantly clear they are going to go way over and what happens if you use the non-taxpayer mid-level exception is that it it is a hard cap and so that means that for any purpose you cannot go over four million over the luxury tax line and the Warriors would be going a mile above that so while the Warriors have been one of the most probably one of the most profitable teams in league history this year because they have a really good team they have a low salary threshold because they had to clear the space for Durant they will those chickens will come home to roost 
Rivers next year because they will have to pay a lot to this team together. That presupposes that all of these players are willing to do it, but you kind of have to presuppose that at the point. So really what they're going to be dealing with is something like the mid-level. However, the timing on it could be very fortuitous for the Warriors because the preliminary reporting on the next collective bargaining agreement is that they're going to make the mid-level exceptions more in line with salaries because what happened was in the current deal, they didn't tie the mid-level exceptions to the cap itself. So as the cap rose, they were at prescribed amounts. So they just became less and less valuable. So it was amazing. The Warriors got Zaza Pachulia for what they did and there are reasons for that. But raising that is is something that then makes it a more palatable wage for whoever the Warriors are interested in. And we will have to see with that. I mean, it's going to be a veteran in some court, some sort, probably going to be a center, but we'll have to see who produces and who doesn't. And also remember that they were, they're going to have to use probably something more substantive if they want to bring back Zaza Pachulia or something like that, because they're not going to have bird rights on either of those guys. So unless they're willing to take basically the same salary they already have or a small amount more, because when you take a pay cut once, it's hard to do it again. You take it for multiple years to really make it work. So all of that is kind of a way of saying that this team is going to stay pretty much the same. Oh, and the one other thing I want to mention with the mid-level exception is that we have not heard definitively whether it is going to tie to the cap again, whether they're going to do that or whether they're going to make the same mistake again, which is that they're going to set it at this level. And then as things change, it'll, it'll vacillate or it'll be less valuable, assuming the cap goes up, which everybody does. We don't know yet. And so it doesn't really matter though, for that first year, because the first year they'll set it right. So the Warriors will have it. It'll be a little bit more competitive and everything like that. So that's really all they will have. They will be hoping that a, a good player takes a pay cut for that, presumably at center, but we don't really. So that's really that whole thing. Uh, the next question I'm not going to spend as much time on right now, but there's a reason for it, is from Hamblugar Sam- Sandwich, and it is, are there any plausible moves the Warriors could make at the trade deadline or via free agency to address interior defense? The basic answer is probably not, and the biggest reason for that is a lack of assets and really a lack of movable assets because the Warriors have plenty of assets. They're just not going to trade those guys. They're not going to trade Kevin. They're not going to trade Clay Thompson. They're not going to trade Steph Curry. So they have draft pick obligations, a lot of second round picks owed. They still have the pick for this year that's going to the Utah Jazz unprotected. So the Warriors don't really have a lot that they can offer in a trade. And generally speaking, they also can't do much in terms of taking on salary for two reasons. One is until Kevin Durant is definitely locked in that he's coming back, you can't know whether you're going to need to use cap space to sign him because at this point, you know, you've only had the guy for a year. You don't know how it's going to turn out and everything like that. And so if the Warriors are going to have to shed good players already, if he needs cap space, you can't rely on that as an assumption, especially at this moment when we don't know if the next collective bargaining agreement is going to raise the max, because that's the most precarious part of the Warriors is that if they raise maxes for guys like Durant, maybe they make it a higher proportion of the cap is really what it would be. Then it becomes a harder decision. Then instead of sacrificing, let's say like 2 million, I went through this in depth in the first ever locked on Warriors. Maybe he's sacrificing five and Maybe then he's saying they're going, do I want to do that? Even for a year, the hope for Warriors fans and ownership will be yes. But until that's guaranteed, you're not going to be spending. So the Warriors don't have a lot they can do there. So in terms of trades, not much. Free agency, yeah, I mean, it, depending on what they're looking for. But 
you everybody basically who is a free agent right now is there for a reason. The most obvious of that is being Larry Sanders. Larry Sanders is a free agent because it doesn't seem like he really wants to play basketball right now. And if he did, the Warriors would be a, a logical landing place for him because he would be a lottery ticket. They would have a chance to play him. They could put him in the most favorable situation. And if it works, great. If it doesn't work, that's fine because the Warriors really can only offer a minimum salary. So even if it doesn't work, they're still going to be below the luxury tax and everything like that. That is also why the Warriors are such an intriguing buyout ca- candidate. You know, so if somebody gets bought out, and why I said in the in the kind of the intro to this on Reddit was that I'm not going to talk about buyout candidates in this is that it's way too early because there are some specific elements, and I've thought about buyout candidates a lot. It's something that is a big part of my repertoire, but it's too early yet to identify the players because part of what you need is a situation that isn't working, and two weeks is not enough time to figure that out definitively with anybody. So you're going to have to do that. And the other part for the Warriors, and this is going to be a big challenge just for dealing with Steve Kerr, Bob Myers, everything like that, is that a lot of the guys who would theoretically be on the chopping block, let's say, you know, JaVale is probably the guy who would be, you know, who is the lowest in terms of, let's call it equity team, but he has a higher ceiling than somebody like McAdoo or like Anderson Vergeau. But so let's say, let's not JaVale McGee, let's say JaVale is playing well enough to not him. Well, then you're going to have to tell Steve Kerr that he's going to have to lose somebody that has been a part of the success team. McAdoo has a ring. Vergeau is loved by the coaching staff for whatever reason, even though it seems like he can't really play anymore. They could try to nudge Vergeau into retirement. That is something that could help resolve the roster spot issue because the Warriors just don't have that extra spot and you can't have more than 15 guys right now. So they're not obviously going to do anything with the guys like McCaw and kind of tying back in with with the last question or with the earlier part of this one is that the Warriors don't really have a lot of other guys they can trade so they're not going to be able to do let's say a two for one and do that because there aren't really two guys on this team that they want to trade and it's not like they can use anything as a real sweetener let's say to a team like the Sixers to clear roster spot that way so I don't think you're going to see anything like that so it it could happen you know there there is a certain candidate depending on who gets bought out or if, let's say, Larry Sanders decides that he wants to play basketball again, they could do that. But you don't want to plan on that as being kind of the definitive point. And for those of you who listened to the episode I did about the playoff rotation and the idea of it really all being about 40 minutes, that gets you to the other important part, which is that the starters, the key guys, are eventually going to play a lot more minutes. They're going to go more to Draymond at center in the playoffs and everything like that. So the Warriors don't have a lot of resources to devote to this, but it's also more of a regular season problem than a playoff thing. And saying they have 40 minutes for the Pachulia, West, Kaw, Clark, Looney, all those kind of guys, you know, 40 minutes is a lot. You can split it a lot of different ways, depending on how guys play and everything else. So it's not the biggest flaw, though they are going to need to figure it out. I'm very encouraged by Looney so far, but we'll have to see it with that. And this also ties in with the next question, which is from the PCAL, and it says, it appears that none of the current Warriors bigs have the ability to both run the offense at the high post or and have the athletic ability to rebound against other teams' bigs. Can Damian Jones be the answer? So the premise of the question is sound. The Warriors do not really have that big that can do both of those things. They've been second from the bottom in defensive rebounding so far this year. So offensive re- opponent offensive rebound rate, if you want to think about it that way. It's one of the four factors. I'm going to do an update on that. Um, probably around Thanksgiving. I, I want to wait a little bit to see how all this shakes out. And so that's an issue. Certainly it's an issue. 
And then they also have the the, the idea of running the offense through the high post, which has been a, a tenant of their offense even before Steve Kerr. I mean, Bogut ran some stuff out of the high post under Mark Jackson. I will kind of separate out Looney because he has the possibility of doing that two way like JaVale doesn't because his offensive acumen is just not up to it at this point. And McAdoo has his own limitations. So I think that Looney is the best shot at that. The point, though, of the question was asking about Damian Jones. And if we're talking in the short term, meaning this season, this playoff, you have to assume that the answer is no. And first of all, you have the physical issues that he just hasn't made it back from a torn pectoral muscle yet. But the bigger thing is that playing center in the NBA requires a major adjustment. And even players who are physically gifted take time to figure all this out. And most of them got to play in summer league, got to play, you know, got to pick it up over time, got to have that kind of veteran support and all that. And you can pick some of that up being on the sidelines and working out. And you, you see Damian Jones at the at the facility, you see him warming up before games, but that's a very different thing. So he could be part of the answer long term after this year, something like that. But I would say it's exceedingly unlikely. It is not impossible. The lawyer in me will always say it is never impossible, but it's especially true with him because he does seem physically capable, so you never want to write off that kind of guy. But it's a big adjustment. You're dealing with players who are bigger, faster, stronger than anything you've ever seen before. And the best way in some ways to think about this is at the point guard position. So Jones played at Vanderbilt. SEC is not exactly the point guard haven of of the world, and he's going to be facing better drivers every single night than he has seen in his entire life. And that's a big adjustment, how to handle those guys without getting fouls, how to communicate, everything else like that. And so it's not reasonable to expect that in the short term. Maybe he can do it long term, maybe a year from now, two years from now, he can become that guy. It certainly does happen, but you don't expect that with a rookie, and you really don't expect that with a rookie who started out his year missing a ton of time and experience due to injury. So that's that question. Next one is from Viva Palestine, and it is, should we be concerned that Andre Godala's early season poor performance, especially his poor finishing at the rim, indicates the start of an age-related drop-off for him? It's too early to tell. There are some real kind of, if you want to call it early tea leaves that are concerning, he has struggled to finish at the rim, and that was something that he was always relatively good at, so I went back and looked at a few years. Last year, he was in the low 70s in terms of finishing at the rim and when he was in Denver the last year before he joined the Warriors I think he was at 74% and then this year I think he's at like 56 so that is a big problem or he actually is a 53.84 so like you have this issue where if that persists then yes that's a very big problem but I think he's had 13 shots at the rim so far so it's not enough to really draw anything on that yet the perimeter shooting is just what it is I don't I don't think that I've seen anything broken from his jump shot or anything like that and his passing is kind of come and gone but that also makes sense because his role is going to be a little different as they figure out how they deal with Durant anything else like that so they will be using him a little bit differently on that end defensively he's looked about the same I haven't really seen any sort of a drop off there and he has a little bit more of a margin it's an underappreciated part of getting Kevin Durant because the offense is such a big big element of this but Durant is far more capable at handling those big assignments than Harrison Barnes you know like the Kawhi Leonard assignment and things like that so I'm not saying Durant will have that time but he will probably have it a higher proportion than Barnes will so then you can slide 
Iguodala in case that man-to-man issue with LeBron or with Kawhi is is a problem for him, then you can slide him somewhere else and try to make it work. And if it's with those five-out lineups, the small lineups, you're probably going to be sliding him sometimes onto fours and fives. Then you're relying on him as a help defender and things like that. But he can certainly make that work. And if it's in traditional lineups, then you're probably sliding him down to twos, and that's not really a problem at all because the twos that are, are really dangerous, you're going to have Clay Thompson on or somebody else. So offensively, we're going to have to see. You can't make that sort of ruling. But I was concerned last year. I thought he was hesitating too much when he was going to the lane. Some of that is due to his issues with free throws, and some of it is there. Nate Duncan and I got into this discussion on Dunked On about his play at the end of game seven. I thought he overly hesitated and Nate credited that to J.R. Smith. I said that he does that all the time because he does. And so you do have to piece those two things together that, you know, a little bit of pressure makes him hesitate a little bit more, but you can still, you can still survive without that. And the three point shooting should get back to close to what it was, but it is important to mention that if those problems persist, then you have to start thinking about it differently. And then he becomes a different part of those five man units, particularly the death lineup because if teams can start to help off of him that creates less space for everyone else and part of the reason why curry and durant on the same offense especially with clay is so dangerous is because there aren't really places that you can get guys to pull off from and so the more defense feel comfortable that they can help off of iguodala and the more they feel like they can help off draymond green when that happens it creates a little bit more safety for their defenses than before where it was basically they have no options you start to give them a little bit of an out it can certainly help it doesn't make it easy it doesn't make it easy at all but it is something worth considering all the same. Next question is from, uh, I'm just going to say the letters, G-A-U-S-S-X, because I can pronounce that. And it is, why does the defensive communication seem worse with this team? Most of the players on the floor might be the same as last year, but the communication is off. This actually has a very easy answer, and that is because they don't have Andrew Bogut anymore. And defensive communication, more often than not in the NBA, runs through the center, and they change their center. David West was normally the power forward when he was playing for the Pacers, so that means the communication ran through Roy Hibbert. Zaza Pachulia has bounced around a little bit. He also doesn't have as much familiarity with the team and the system. This is actually something that Draymond Green talked about after, I can't remember which one of the games it was. It was definitely a game that was at Oracle because I, I, th- I think I might have even asked a question. And he wants to take on a larger role with that. It certainly makes sense when he's at center, when they go to the small lineup. And another part of it is just the idea that small changes to personnel can lead to substantial adjustment. Center is the most obvious with that because they lead so much communication. It also might even be an issue just because while you know, while Bogut wasn't an American either, Zaza Pachulia is from Georgia, just getting used to his voice and him getting used to everybody else on the team. Sometimes you can call out coverages differently, call out situations differently. So there'll be adjustments there. But also, you know, they're, they're dealing with changes all around the court. And while there is continuity in terms of let's, Ian Clark is probably the most obvious example. Of Ian Clark was on the Warriors last year, but Ian Clark is playing a substantially different role on this team than he was last year because last year his role is being filled by Leandro Barbosa. So yes, there is continuity but it's not the same and he's in a different role and also a lot of the young guys so Kavon Looney has really never played center before in his life he's played more power forward he's good at that but it's a different defensive responsibility so you have to deal with that also he's adjusting because he only played in five games last year so he's going to have an adjustment Pat McCaw first year in the NBA so you have a lot of different pieces there and also you have players in different defensive roles I mean Durant's playing more power forward than he ever has before so that is something that should improve with time especially because the Warriors have a lot of players who are good at defensive communication Draymond, Iguodala, 
and you know Steph can do it when 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 needed and things like that Clay Thompson of course and so they should be able to get there but it takes time and there's a reason why it takes teams a while to gel a couple months is because it's easier to say in terms of the offense because though you know where people like the ball in the court especially for those of you who play pickup that's something that you can understand that the more familiarity you have you can get some of these benefits just by experience but the same is true defensively it doesn't come up as much because for there isn't as much defensive communication in pickup but it is exceedingly important in the NBA and the Warriors lost the centerpiece of that in Andrew Bogut and and Fessazili you know another guy who had a lot of system continuity and had a lot of continuity with these players because drafted in the same group with Barnes and with Draymond Green and also, you know, Harrison. Harrison was a guy who fit into their system and who, you know, now, now you have to have all of those sorts of adjustments. So I'm not concerned about the communication very much. It's more the other issues that are that are there because that is something that absolutely takes time and that the Warriors will have to deal with. But it, but it's good to notice it and it's good to kind of appreciate its absence and keep an eye on that because if, let's say, by the all-star break, it's still a problem. Then you start to think, oh, well, maybe this is going to be something long-term. Next question is from Dead Hardy AQ. Is it possible that Stephen Curry is still feeling the after effects of the injuries he sustained during last playoffs? Do you foresee him ever returning to that consistent excellence? This is two different things, but they're both good to think about and good to understand. I'm going to start with the second one first, and that's I don't expect him to return Curry to return to that level, but it is not so much because of physical aptitude. It is that he was so far away beyond anything. He had one of the best offensive seasons that anyone has ever had, and you don't expect anybody to replicate that. It's almost exactly the same logic as why you don't expect the Warriors to win 73 games against because no team has ever done that before. No team so you expect a result that is more in line with that. And that's part of the reason why I expected Curry to have a season more in line with his 2014-15 MVP season because maybe you go back and and part of that was was tying in with the idea of having a little bit lower usage, being a little bit of a smaller part of the offense, because one of the big differences with Curry last year was that he got more efficient and he took more shots. And that doesn't usually happen. Usually it's this sort of trade-off before anybody, Evan Zamir wrote an interesting piece about this years ago. You could check it out. I can't remember the exact terminology. You should be able to find it. If I remember, I will tweet it, and I'm sure Evan will tweet it as well. But about kind of the scoring frontier and the trade-off of efficiency and volume. And so Curry kind of split the atom last year, and you don't expect that to maintain it always feels like an anomaly because it should be so playing with Durant is also fundamentally different you know he's going to have different shots they want the ball in different places defenses are going to handle them differently and so you think more to that other baseline or not even a baseline but you think about that other year where he won the MVP as being more of where where you start that's certainly fair in terms of feeling the after effects of the injury I'm not seeing a whole lot of that however what I am seeing is a little bit of rust defensively. And so what that is really is about, you know, making sure that you're getting to the right place on pick and roll coverages, sure that you are, you know, putting the, like a lot of times when you're the point guard in a pick and roll, you want to make sure that you're sending your guy to the right place. And that then it kind of falls on the other big man, especially if the war like the Warriors like to have their center hang back a little bit. So he's not necessarily nailing all of those assignments. The Damian Lillard example, where he also had some weird fouls and things like that those sorts of things I don't think it's that he's not right 
physically or anything like that. It's just that you have to get back in the swing of things. And it also happens at the beginning of seasons a lot because you build yourself into that form. And so not playing in the Olympics, anything like that, it also might have put a little bit, uh, might have taken the edge off, we call it that. And so unlike guys like Draymond and Clay, who've been on this, kind of been on this role and never really got off it for a couple of years now with the international play and everything else, Curry taking time off, which he absolutely had to, one of the effects that it can have is it can kind of mess up your timing a little bit there. Offensively, I've liked the way that he's finished at the rim overall. He's His ridiculous threes have toned down a little bit, except for the Portland game, but I'm not seeing really anything other than some weird attacks on switches like that one on Ed Davis at the end of the second quarter of the Portland game that are really giving me pause like, oh, he doesn't look right. He had a nice one on Pau Gasol in the Spurs game in the opener and has had a few other ones. So I'm not seeing much to say that he's, he's not there. It's just that it was an aberration and it'll be hard for him to get back there and that they're dealing with a lot of other adjustments. So keep an eye on it the next few weeks, but I'm, I'm not seeing a lot to really give me pause there. So next question is a really interesting one and one that I've thought about a fair amount, which is from, from Gogo Wrath. And it is once the team has had time to work together and improve defensive cohesion and confusion, what is the team's likely landing point in terms of defensive rating for the regular season? And then the second question is, is it different in the playoffs? So it does really seem like the Warriors are not in the regular season going to be as dominant as they were the last. And there are a lot of reasons for it. And the biggest one is just personnel that they played centers last year that were that tilted more the defensive way than the offensive way. And losing that gives you something fundamentally different. Also, the difference in attention. Warriors last year, whether it was the right decision or the wrong decision, they were going after it every single game, even from the start of the year. And some will focus on that in terms of wins and losses, and that's easy to do. I'm not going to lambaste those people for it, but as somebody who's covered this team for years, it wasn't as much about the results. It was about watching their effort and their motor day by day. And something that happened in the Laker game that was different, and I talked about this a little bit in the call it a bonus episode that he did after that, was that they got out of hustle, and that didn't happen much last year. Draymond got outworked by, by Julius Randle. The guards weren't doing a great job preventing the spots. They were getting back cut a lot, and those types of performances are the type of thing that push you down a little bit. So I don't know for sure yet. I'm thinking in the regular season they'll be somewhere around 6-10, to 10. so certainly top half of the league, but not best of the best. This year, there should also be a few really strong defenses. Atlanta's looked great. The Spurs have looked really good at moments. The Hawks have been dominant again, which they, they were the, actually the best defense in the second half of the year last year. So teams like that, I think, will be near the top. Boston has been bad so far, but I think they're going to get a lot better. So be 6-10, to 10, but then the second part of the question is the more fun part, which is, is it different in the playoffs? And the answer is yes, because they're going to be playing Zaza Pachulia less. They're going to be playing David West less. They're going to be playing these aggressive switching lineups a whole heck of a lot more. And they're also going to be playing with urgency. This is a team that, for better or for worse, is going to be defining their success, defining their season on how they play in six weeks in April, May, and June. And so they are going to need to, actually, I guess it's closer to eight to 10 weeks if things go well. That is going to define their season. They're going to focus all their energy on it. This is also a group of players, both the players that were on the Warriors last year and the players who watched it on TV, like Kevin Durant, who saw what LeBron James did and that he was able to really flip that switch and become that player for a short period of time. I haven't talked with them openly about it, partially because I don't think they would ever admit to it. But 
that sort of idea of saving your fastball and not putting as many intense miles on your tires during a regular season that doesn't really matter that much is something that should resonate with those guys. And I think we're seeing that a little bit. And you don't want to take it off too much so that you have to pick it up all the way. But as Kevin Pelton put it this week, you know, they could become a light switch team and a team that can really put it together. And the idea of the Deathstroke lineup, you know, the five out being their best defensive unit is a way that could make them even more of a light switch team because they're getting to better defensive personnel by the lineups that they're playing more heavily at that point. So I expect them to be a much better defensive team in the in the playoffs than they are in the regular season, at least in terms of the competitive portion of the game. Another question, SF Dub Nation, does Kerr just dislike McGee or am I delusional in thinking he can give us meaningful minutes at center it's a complicated thing and I think the biggest part of it is just the idea of consistency and so JaVale is he plays hard he has physical gifts that none of the other centers on this can match but if anybody has ever watched Shaqton the Fool which I actually think overstates his kind of let's call it JaVale's incompetence on that end he's a little bit he's smarter offensively than you would think by that sort of thing because he makes real strange bonehead plays but you can't really like an offense through him you can't do anything like that and the defensive benefits that you have with somebody who's so physically gifted you need to build as we talked about a lot on this podcast you need to build a lot of that in terms of communication comfort and understanding through experience and so he's at this point it's more of like you're you're kind of throwing him in and seeing how it works rather than immersing immersing him in the system and making sure that he can fit in with everything else that you have that said I would certainly try it a lot more than Steve Kerr has so far and the reason for that is that he can do things defensively that nobody else on this team is capable of. And you have that, that you owe it to yourself. You know, I talked about the idea of the 40 minutes and if JaVale can play 10 to 15 of those 40 minutes, and he certainly has that possibility. He has that ceiling in him. You owe it to yourself to figure that out between now and then. And the other big part of that ties in with the idea of not necessarily looking at the timeline being figuring it out by mid-April for him. It's figuring it out by mid-February because the Warriors have to know by the buyout deadline. So basically you have to have a guy and you have to have a guy bought out by March 1st, by before March 1st, in order for them to be playoff eligible. But really you think about it in terms of the trade deadline, whether they want to give up anything. At that point, you want to know what you have, or at least have a really good expect, expectation of whether he deserves a roster spot, whether he deserves a rotation spot. And that is a long time. You know, that's really three months from, but it's also just exactly guess four months, but in terms of games, in terms of situation, it's not that long if you're not going to start that process soon. It looks like they're trying Looney first, which I have absolutely no problem with, but they need to also find that out with Javel McGee. And I think it's more important with those guys than with McAdoo and Verjao because they just have a higher ceiling. So you want to really know with them, they also have more variance. So whether it works, whether it doesn't work, that will have to come with time, experience, and really giving them a shot. But part of the reason you want to do McGee second and Looney first is that Looney does have more continuity. Even if he didn't play much last year, he was a the team he got to see what they do he got to play and he got to have a little bit of time in summer league his for his rookie year not before this year and McGee it's just you know it's throwing it all in I, I don't think they expected him to make the team because they gave a higher guarantee to Ellie Williams and gave him a guarantee and so they need to figure all this stuff out and so the physical potential is there but you need to get the mental side to the point where he knows what he's doing out there and also that's important to give him a fair evaluation because you don't want to put a guy out there when he's when he might 
might not be ready there. And, you know, McGee, he's really playing in garbage time because you, we're not sure he's at that yet. And there's a lot that you that even I don't get to see. I mean, I'm lucky enough to cover this team, but not getting to see practices in full, not getting to see all that stuff. Like the coaches have a lot more information about where JaVale McGee is than we do and it can be hard to take and also there's also the issue of personal like dynamics and everything like that Zaza Pachulia David West both established vets that took less money to play for the Warriors you want to give them a chance you want to make sure all that works so I I think that like so many of these questions you want to exhibit time and caution they have a long time to figure it out but it is exceedingly important that they do figure it out because when you have as little flexibility as the Warriors have because they have a great team and when you have a great team that has expensive players on it that has a lot of talent you really do want to make sure that you that you maximize every opportunity you don't have to do that on day one you can use the months of the process and the grind of the season and seemingly inevitable nature of injuries to allow it to to manifest itself more naturally. And so you don't have to necessarily make Zaza Pachulia mad or David West because maybe you're going to give him a night off. And when you give him a night off, then you try out JaVale McGee. Maybe that happens around Christmas. Maybe it happens mid-December, something like that. But they have to start it, but they don't have to start it. And so there are two more questions I want to do on this one, and they, they both, they sort of relate to one another, but one one of them is going to be faster than the answer I gave earlier, and that's from Gray Gray, which is, is there a way for the Warriors to acquire Tyson Chandler? Would that make the Warriors better? So there are two big problems. I wrote a tweet about this, but I, it deserves a lot more attention. So a lot of people are focusing on what would normally be the first question, but I think the second one is more important. And the second issue is the long term. So Tyson Chandler has two more seasons after this year that are under contract. It's about between 12 and $13 million, which is not a heinous amount of money, but it is a lot. And whatever the Warriors are probably trade for him is going to be short-term money because the Warriors just the only guys they have on long-term salaries are players that they're not going to trade. They're not going to give up Clay Thompson. They're not going to give up Draymond Green in a trade for Tyson Chandler. So that means that if Durant is unwilling to pay or to, to play for less than his maximum, you're running a real risk there. But the bigger thing in some ways, and this is the first part, but I wanted to get that out of the way, is that the Warriors don't have the salary to trade back for him. They do not have this just groundswell of dead money. They're not the Minnesota Timberwolves, Cole Pekovic. They're not any, basically, other team that has money laying out there. So, yeah, I mean, the, the author of the question mentioned the idea of trading Guadalla for him. You don't trade Andre Guadalla for Tyson Chandler. Andre Guadalla is a better player than Tyson Chandler right now, and he fills a value that you cannot replace. You can't find another wing that is talented defensively that can be a kind of a, a, a talker that can also pass the ball and hit open shots most of the time some of the time whatever wings are more valuable than centers right now because there are so few of them and you cannot find anybody like Iguodala you can throw spaghetti at the wall and find 75% of Tyson Chandler, whether that be JaVale, whether that be Larry Sanders, even maybe Kevon Looney, but you can't do that at the wing. I mean, you look at a team like New Orleans, like New Orleans signed Lance Stevenson, trying to have him be that guy who they got off the wing, uh, off the, off the scrappy, basically. He did okay, hurt his groin, and now they're going with Archie Goodwin, a guy who got cut by the sun despite the sun's needing perimeter help like nobody's business you know they have they have high-end talent and guys like Devin Booker and Eric Bledsoe and Brandon Knight who is playing here but 
they need all the lottery tickets they can get and they cut Archie Goodwin loose and he was the best option for New Orleans at that time. So the reason you don't make that trade is because you can't get another guy like that. And I mean, Iguodala was a part of the Hamptons group. He was a big recruiter of Durant, all the personal issues there. And Tyson Chandler is old and older centers often age really poorly. So he's under that contract. He's not going to take a discount or anything like that because he's already under that deal. And that also ties in with a question that got asked about Tyson Chandler being bought out. This wasn't in the Reddit mail bag it was on Twitter we have very rarely I think it's I can only think of a couple of times offhand and they were very wish ever seen a player get bought out with this much time on his contract and the only way the Suns would ever do it would be if he gave a ton of money back like Darren Williams did a buyout with two seasons left on his deal which now he's playing in Dallas actually on the second season so he's still getting money from Brooklyn but he, you know, that that team was hopeless. They were in a tough situation. They had a lot of money on the books, that sort of thing. So they and they were able to spread it out. The Suns wouldn't really have the ability to gain. They wouldn't gain that much flexibility from it. And Chandler wouldn't leave that much money on the table when he knows that he wouldn't get it from anybody else. So then the Warriors wouldn't have if if they got him by a buyout, they wouldn't have the ability to use bird rights to basically go cheap one year and raise another year like the Spurs did with Manu. I brought that up earlier. So that's not a possibility either. So it, it's almost impossible to think of a circumstance where Warriors get Tyson Chandler in a trade that makes them better. And that's important. And, you know, maybe if something happened with Andre Dalla that hurt or something like that. But even then, I don't, I don't think that it's really worth it. So you're, that doesn't really make sense. Somebody cheaper, you know, I've heard Nerlens thrown out, Nerlens Noel of the Sixers. The problem there is that the Sixers are going to want assets. The Warriors don't have a ton of assets. And I think Warriors fans would be very unhappy with the players they would have to give up in return for Nerlens Noel. And again, he's a guy that's going to get really expensive really quickly. That said, if the Sixers ever lower the price to something the Warriors that can pay, they should absolutely give him a call and talk about it because his defensive potential is a nice fit. But I will go through more of the big men ideas later on comes pertinent because Pachuli and West aren't delivering and because it becomes clarified in terms of who will be available. So I have to fill a lot of time with Lockdown Warriors. That is something that will come up, but we do need to give it a little bit more time. And then the last question is one that I'm actually surprised has, hasn't been discussed more, which is from uh, Kemba17, which I think is funny, Kent's the question is, which is, is there a legitimate path to Curry leaving the team in the offseason? And they gives a lot more, but I want to leave it at that. And the answer is sure. I mean, Stephen Curry is an unrestricted free agent after the season. He could want something different. He has never been an unrestricted free agent before. He signed this below market deal with the Warriors that functionally speaking, they were not allowed to give him a raise on and that gives him a really low cap hold. And while all reasonable interpretations are that Golden State can offer him the best combination of familiarity, city, chance to win, everything like that, you really don't know until a player makes that decision what the really value. And so we saw that with Kevin Love taking the stability with Cavs. He had just gotten there any years everything like that. Curry is, you know, he could, he might take a contract because he's for, you know, to, to time his free agency right. We don't know exactly how that's going to work again with the NBA, but you never want to assume anything like that. And while it is very unlikely and it doesn't really make any sense for him to go anywhere else, you also don't want to treat a given just because it makes the most sense. So you don't, I don't want anybody to have any sleepless nights over it. Uh, my full expectation is that he's going to be back, but to make it a stone cold 100% lock, is just, it's unwise. And so you just sit there and you expect it. 
And the other great thing that the Warriors have going for them in this case, beyond being competitive and good and everything like that, is that there aren't really that many greats that are capped. The Celtics are probably the biggest threat in that because the Celtics with Curry would be a really, really good team. But Cleveland can't really clear space. San Antonio would probably have to sacrifice really good guys. They have a contract to do it. And they're not younger like than the Warriors. I mean, Kawhi is amazing, but they're not in that. There's, there isn't really that perfect situation. The reason why the Warriors were so intriguing for Durant is that they were able to make a better argument than anyone else. And at this moment, no one else can make a better argument than the Warriors. And so unless he wants something really different. However, there are two things that really do need to be mentioned in terms. Of one is the money part. And if Curry is looking for a shorter term contract, the money differences really aren't there because as the cap rises and the fact that the Warriors are going to be paying him bird rights, they not and not using like the percentage of his current thing because guys like Kobe can get grandfathered into large salaries. If he wanted a one year deal, which I don't think he does, but let's say he does because Durant just did that. The Warriors can offer him the exact same amount of money as any. They can't offer him more. They can only offer him a higher raise in that second year. But generally speaking, the expectation would be that he would, you know, he would opt out or with that, like Kevin Durant is probably going to get more money as you opt out even then just because because the non bird or everything else. So that the money part of it in the short term and California has one of the higher income tax rates. We might even have the highest. I'm not completely sure. I could ask my friend who's a tax lawyer. Um, whether we have the highest one in the nation. So in terms of take-home pay, he's a little bit there. And then, but the second part, which is I think more ties in with that, is the idea that he might take fewer years. And we saw Draymond and Clay Thompson both take long contracts. Neither of them has a player option, which is strange. I think we could see Curry line something up a little bit more, maybe to maximize his money because of if they do 10 plus max, something like that. We could see him sign a shorter term deal, not with the expectation that he's going to leave or that he's going to do anything in terms of under free agency, but just to maximize his own earning potential. And when a player has taken the kind of discount that he did not thinking of it at the time because that was a reasonable deal the Warriors were taking a risk but he's won two back-to-back MVPs and he sees all these players who he's better than making a lot more money you can understand why he would want to maximize that especially when it does not curtail the Warriors flexibility to add talent at all because they have full bird rights on him so yes Stephen Curry can leave no he probably won't but he might sign a shorter contract than some people are expecting that can make people queasy but there's a very good reason for it so I think that's enough for this one, but there are a few more good questions. So I, if you want to keep asking them, that Reddit thread is on r slash warriors. You can keep looking there and I'm going to go through a couple, couple things more. If people are, are confused about the idea of bird rights and everything else like that, let me know in the next couple of days and I can explain why. But the short version is that when a guy's been on the team for as long as Curry has, you can sign them using full bird rights up to their personal maximum. And that's why there isn't the disparity with the Warriors and other team is that they can pay him up to his max, even with his low cap hold. But if, you're, if there's still any confusion with that, let me know. That can kind of be one of the centerpieces of Reddit Mailbag Part 2. If not, then awesome. And that's an issue I don't have to deal with as much anymore. So thank you so much for all the submissions, feedback, good, bad, and different at Danny LaRue on Twitter, D-A-N-Y-L-U-X. Also, Danny LaRue, MBA at L.com. This is going to be a fun week. The next two games are the New Orleans Pelicans at Oracle. That's Monday night. That will be Tuesday's episode. And then Ma- the Mavericks, Harrison Barnes, Andrew Bogut return game. Wednesday night, that'll be Thursday's episode. Probably going to have the Reddit mailbag in between unless I get somebody chomping at the bit as a guest to be there. Otherwise, that'll be later in the week. But it's been a lot of fun to do this. 
this. I, I'm really enjoying the show. Thank you so much for your support. You can show that support if you want by downloading every episode, subscribing, and whatever podcast player you like. And in that player, you leave a rating, leave a review. It really does make a difference. And we still have SeatGeek as the primary sponsor. I will do a read on that. I'm a fan of their product, but you can go use the promo code LO Warriors on their app, and that will give you $20 off your. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a day. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.